Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. On those fun two anecdotal notes, we'll uh, we'll jump into the show today. I want to welcome everybody to latest edition of The Rundown, uh, your weekly look into latest headlines, rumors, insights that are impacting the mortgage industry. And uh, co-hosting with me today is not Rob, uh, unless he's been stricken with the Benjamin Button effect, but it is a uh, friendly face and uh, occasional co-host, Robbie Crispin, the star of the Crispin Commentary Daily Podcast. Welcome in, Robbie. Good to see you, Tom. Is the is the Benjamin Button effect real or? <laughs> you know, I'm, I my hairline keeps going back, but it, I think it's from every subsequent relationship I get into and then like break up from. But so eventually we'll we'll have my dad's hair and uh, <laughs> mine. Uh, mine started fading back as soon as I got into uh, married, marriage and parenting. So uh, you got that fun <laughs> to look forward to someday. Uh, but also, I want to welcome in our sponsors and co-hosts for today's episode, the power couple, husband and wife duo from longtime TMC preferred partners, I Emergent. We have CEO Laird Nasuli and COO Bernard Nasuli. Hey, Bernard. Hey, Laird. How we doing? Good, Tom. Surprised you didn't say that we're coming from powerful Des Moines, Iowa. I thought that's what you were going with that. You're going to say from long term, and I was like, Des Moines, he's going to say something about Des Moines, but sadly, no. Well, my question was going to be, is uh, is Des Moines truly a field of dreams? <laughs> d- d- depends where, I suppose. <laughs> and what your dreams are. Yeah. Point well taken. Well, uh, you know, for those in our audience, maybe less familiar with iEmergent, as I mentioned, they've been a longtime partner of ours with TMC going on five years now. And uh, I've really been taking the industry by storm over, I'd say, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but really, I've seen the adoption in the past two years, um, stronger than ever, just within the collaborative member adoption. And I think it's in large part because of the value lenders are seeing from your signature platform offering, Mortgage Market Smart, uh, where lenders can essentially do dynamic future-looking forecasts all the way up to five years out. Um, and use some unique heat maps as they dig into different census tracts or even drill down further than that, um, really to look through what their footprint strategy is going to be like going forward, say from you know a, a branch adoption standpoint or an originator recruitment standpoint. Um, but you know, thinking about what is your production map going to look like going forward. And since then, They've added so much more to the platform to further empower lenders. Bernard Laird, I'm going to turn it over to you real quick to uh, you know pick up where I left off and some key things you may want to point to uh, on your platform that that lenders can leverage. Yeah, I'll, I'll just kick it off. It's you know basically it's a growth platform. So we're saying, hey, especially in this environment where everyone's scrambling to find loans. We, we can help with that. We have, uh, so the forecast is, as Tom mentioned, uh, but then we have the ability to kind of dive into any market anywhere in the US, look at your 
uh, branches and then look at your originations and see where you might have gaps and then how to penetrate uh, those those gaps or or on the recruiting side, make sh- making sure that w- you're talking to you know the top agents, not just in the market, but for you, for what you're trying uh, to, to get or the segment you're trying to go after and then reach the top loan originators or excuse me, the top agents so that again, you can find the agents that are working where you want to be, whether it's low to moderate income census tracts or majority minority census tracts, anything like that. And then we've also added some points of interest so that to think beyond uh, agents as just your referral, your only referral source, going to uh, places of worship, so churches, uh, housing nonprofits, uh, veterans uh, organizations, anything in the community that helps you get closer to those end borrowers. That's really next level, Bernard. How new is that as far as kind of targeting like those uh, centers of influence for different communities through um, through your your email and centers track? I think it's been six six months, Laird, is that right? Yeah, so we started doing that, you know, done a lot of the consulting work on it. And we started, you know, a lot of lenders are seeing success, particularly with diverse markets. And you guys know that's that's my thing. But um, when we started seeing that kind of success in the consulting projects, um, you know, in terms of expanding what sourcing looks like and what strategies look like, we decided to add it to um, MarketSmart. So like Bernard said, you know, like, in fact, um, a, a client wanted to talk about, they're just like, hey, we need to know where the libraries are. Well, guess what's in there now? All the libraries um, for different reasons uh, and different strategies. But it's it's been about maybe a little bit longer than that. But it's it's really cool. One of the things that's so great about it is that by putting it in there, it puts it in the radar and, and the um, sphere of thinking of the people who are using it. So even if they're not going in, they're thinking, hey, I want to know the churches. They see churches, they see schools, and it makes their brain start to think about innovative new ways of, you know, uh, of growth. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you identified those opportunities outside of what we always think of as the traditional resource, you know, your referral or real estate partners uh, within a given metro or region, but actually digging into where are those centers of influence in the community. It's a very cool and very innovative way to think about different ways to uh, to grow your following. No, it's and, and you're right. We have seen a lot of um, adoption. I think some of that was carryover from, you know, just starting to you know, lenders know that they have to adjust and work with an administration where it's very equity focused. And that's why we have so much of an, uh, you know, from a location perspective, we think about LMI, we think about MMCT. But as this transitions into the environment we're in right now, I think it's just as well positioned because, as I've been saying for, you know, two years, this is about, you know, the diverse market space isn't just about regulatory um, and reducing risk. It's about new opportunities. And when we do analyses and we look at, okay, what is what do um, uh, production numbers look like if we cut the home ownership gap by 5%? And this is, you know, across the country, billions and trillions of dollars of difference. And so as people are looking for growth, that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, they're kind of jumping on now. They still get the regulatory um, benefits, I guess. But if anything else, they're like, hey, you know, the market's tightening. Where am I going to drill down? and find the opportunities I need. It's not falling out of the sky like it was the, you know, uh, a while ago. Oh, don't we know it. We're going to dig into quite a bit of that in this episode. Everybody, welcome to the rundown today. 
co-hosted with a good friend Robbie Chrisman and our special guest and sponsors for today's episode, uh, I Emergent, featuring CEO Laird Nasuli and COO Bernard Nasuli. Uh, quick FYI to the audience, we're going to be digging into some key findings, kind of a teaser of uh, the 2022 Honda data that iEmergence helped put out to the industry over this past week. Seen a lot of different publication posts on there. Uh, in the chat, I did drop a link to a blog, kind of digging into some of the key findings they found. And also register and join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, where uh, Bernard and Larry are going to dig into those 22 findings and some really key takeaways from their research uh, that I think anybody within our network or joining on today's podcast uh, can find a ton of value from. So be sure to dig into that. Um, I, I, you know, as we dig in here, Laird, I've got to mention it. I mean, you've been uh, quite a bit of uh, accolades come your way over, you know, the last year plus here. Let's see. It was uh, 2022's powerful women in mortgage banking through national mortgage magazine. Um NMP's Women of Inspiration for 23, as well as NMP's Industry Titans Awards. Uh, it's got to be somewhat surreal for you. This has always been a passion of yours with what you've done uh, with iEmergent for years now, and suddenly you're getting all these accolades. Uh, a little bit surreal, or is it just the industry finally catching up to what you've been uh, so passionate about? I think a little bit of both. I, I mean, I, it is surreal. I certainly... Um, I'm getting used to it, I guess. I mean, it, 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 it's not like it's a bad surreal, but I think, you know, my only regret is that my dad couldn't see this, you know, because in a sense, the things that I'm talking about that seem innovative, he talked about, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so, so I'm just happy that, that, you know, my, by the fact that the industry is recognizing me, it's recognizing the value of this kind of work and the value of housing equity and, um, you know, I also like it. We're the little guys. You know, I like when when, you know, small companies and small businesses start to be successful because a lot of people don't know all that goes into it, um, you know, when you're two or three or four people at the beginning. So. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Laird, I was I was going to ask, did you relegate Bernard to a different room because your trophies are filling up where you are and there's no more space or hey I'm yeah. I'm expendable I'm expendable so let's let's no I'm under no illusions that's not yeah no no that's not true uh you were a housing wire rising star four years ago no no inside you got the insider award you got the insider award yes yes well anyway there we go because that's just gonna ask you Bernard I mean is it suddenly intimidating to watch Laird get all these accolades? And I guess at the same time, are you thinking to yourself, what am I chop liver over here? I mean, you know, I, I, I tell Laird, you know, behind every good woman, there's gotta be a, a good man somewhere, but somewhere there. So just trying to, just trying to play my part, whatever I can do to make sure she shines. Amen to that, brother. Well, in the chat, there's some folks asking Laird if they can get your autograph and uh, crediting you both is quite the dream team here. So we're going to get into the uh, those Humda data findings in a little bit here, but going to run through quick headlines for the week. Robbie, we kind of talked about it a little bit on the lead-in. Uh, CPI data came out this week, as well as the PPI readings, which are those core inflationary indicators. Uh, on the heels of the March job reports last week, you know, 
quick uh, cliff notes for the audience. CPI reading cooled to its lowest level in two years. Year-over-year uh, -year actual was 5%, pretty close to surveyed projections at about 5.1%, but noticeably down from the 6% inflationary reading from last month. And then on the PPI side, year-over-year uh, -year final demand down to 2.7%. Uh, considerably down from 4.6% last month and certainly better than the survey projections of 3.0%. Um, pair that with the job employment numbers from last month, kind of ranging between about 150 and 230,000 and uh, new jobs, depending if you're looking at the ADP or U.S. Bureau of Labor, uh, plus some decent results on annual pay going up, what, 7% uh, year over year through ADP, a little bit over 4.2% through Bureau of Labor. I just spewed a lot of stats out there. So Ravi, in uh, traditional fashion here, what does that all mean as far as rate trends go and, and maybe looking at the next 30 days or even beyond? We think about last summer, inflation was around almost 9%. In the fall, it was 8%, holidays 7 You mentioned last month, six before this most recent reading of five, we're trending in the right direction. So between that and the Fed getting close to what appears to be uh, the terminal Fed funds target rate for this tightening cycle, I think we could see some rate relief here on the, the horizon. And, and as uh, markets become more comfortable with that terminal Fed funds rate, that will allow for spreads to, to close a little bit. They've been historically wide. And uh, Hopefully it means more home affordability in this spring home buying season and summer home buying season. Amen to that. I think that'd be a relief to everybody out there. Um, you know, you look at that and then we also had, you know, new application increase uh, from this last week, just through the MBA new application survey, 5.3% overall specifically 8% on the purchase side, relatively flat, 0.1% gain on refi apps. Um, you know, pair that with some data we saw from Black Knight this week about March rate lock volume up 43% month over month. Um, and I think digging into that data a little bit further, you know, specifically 87% of the rate lock volume on the purchase side, 13% on the refi side, you know, that, I think in large part what we would expect, what we've seen over the past year. Um, but I think some some uh you know beneficial notes there, purchase locks up 44% and cash out refi locks up 31%, rate term refi locks up 36% versus February. Obviously, those numbers can be a bit skewed on the refi side when you know 30% gain of next to nothing, maybe not that consequential, but it seems like there's some tea leaves and things heading in the right direction. You know, Robbie, your thoughts as far as optimism out there for the spring buying season, just based on some of these metric readouts from March? I'm very optimistic. And in addition, I, I should mention that the Fed seems to finally be getting a little traction in terms of cooling labor demand. And that's what it's really been going for here. We've had these hot job reports coupled with high inflation figures. Seems that unemployment claims ticking up a little bit. Uh, the joblet, the payrolls, monthly payrolls reports uh, ticking down a little bit. So the, the Fed is seeing progress. It, it's just a question of, you know, there's still a long way to go. How soon will we get there? Inflation at 5% is nice but that's still nearly three times the target rate of 2% annual. 
And so there, there's still a lot of work to go. The Fed kind of hit pause here with some of the banking crises we've, crises we've seen. And you would think that banks uh, tightening credit will act as a break on the economy in ways that the Fed would hope for with its own tightening cycle. Uh, and so uh, I'm with you. Fingers crossed. Rates are coming down. Fingers crossed. It's a, it's a solid home buying season. You certainly have people that are on the sidelines waiting to jump back in. And uh, we're we're all hoping that it's sooner rather than later, and and I think there are reasons for optimism when it comes to that. I, I think to that yeah, point as well, uh, Tom. Yeah, Tom, I was I was going to say, you know, it just shows how um, uh, rate sensitive folks are because there's still such demand for for homes that as soon as it drops, you know, a tenth of a point, it seems like people are like, all right, rush in, let's let's lock these in. So uh, for sure, as as I think you know, Robbie mentioned that. Uh, I, I think I think the Fed will continue to increase, maybe at a at a slower pace now, but they will in order to get to that two percent uh, target rate. Um, but rates should be should be dropping overall. Yeah, great point. I mean, you've seen some tea leaves out there from some of the commentary from some of the regional Fed presidents uh, across the country. You know, urging caution out there that may still need, you know, small quarter point increases. Hopefully it's just one. Um, but, you know, taking a precautionary approach, Robbie, to your point, 5% being, you know, positive direction for inflation numbers, but, you know, still a long way from that 2% target where the Fed has been very telegraphed and in, in letting the industry know it needs to kind of get to that point and be a sustainable 2% before you start to see the Fed pull back on uh, benchmark rates. I, I like Bernard's point a lot there. There is rate elasticity out there. Borrowers are, are raring to go. And if they get any relief whatsoever, we're going to see people jumping off the, the sidelines, at least for uh, home purchases. Maybe, uh, I mean, enough mortgages were originated in the, the six coupons that, uh, you know, if we get a little rally, maybe we'll see some refinance activity pick up too. Yep. Yeah, great point. And I think you're seeing it just through some of the new product offering releases we saw from some of the bigger hitter lenders out there. Uh, you know, UWM introduced their 1% down loans uh, on conventional loans where they pick up the other 2%, um, but only for borrowers at an income at or below 50% of the area median income. So, you know, definitely a headline grabber, but you wonder, you know, what that really looks like as far as a, a volume increase. Um, you know, I saw Bit Third launch their rate drop protector program for apps between now and the end of Q3, where if the rate drops, Bit Third will waive all lender closing costs up to $12.95. If you do a subsequent refi with them between six and 24 months after the original purchase transaction, uh, even saw Planet Home this week introduce a, uh, a rate buy down program. They already had it out there for two year and temporary buy downs, but doing like a one year or first year flex option out there, kind of via a lender paid credit. Um, so you see, you know, some of the bigger players out there trying to create some flexibility in their loan structures to drive some more volume, and, and hopefully we uh, we see that industry wide with some pickup here in the coming weeks. So, Tom, I do want to comment. You know, uh, I work quite closely with Fifth Third, and about. 60 days ago, they started asking for, you know, mining some of the county data for those kinds of leads on for the rate buy down. And I will tell you, they are getting traction with it. But I think that what's what's neat and the, the kind of the takeaway from that 
isn't so much, is that the specific thing that's going to, you know, bring growth? But it's the idea that not being stuck in the same old thing, right? It's like thinking, okay, so the path ahead of us is a little bit more narrow than we want to see. How can we go around that and open up some new paths? And I like to see that kind of innovation from lenders, you know, regardless of what the end product looks like, it's just the, it's the right way to think when you th- see things sort of um, tearing down like that. That's a great point. And, and Robbie, I'll bring you back because you made the comment. Do you think some of the rate elasticity out there in the environment could be potentially, you know, the impetus too for some of these lenders to get a little more creative in, in some of the unique product offerings they've been rolling out? I think we've seen lenders get more creative over the past several months and, and they will continue to do so. Uh, people are so squeezed on on margin right now versus what it was a couple years ago that there there need to be new products and new ways to bring in borrowers if, if volumes are going to be reduced and margins are going to be down, uh, which I think is great news for the industry, great news for borrowers. Uh, my friends that are looking for creative lending products, there's a lot more options now. Uh, and they're also, I, a lot of people's concern will be, Hey, there's these new products. Are they safe? Are we getting back towards a, a subprime type of thing? And I would say no. The regulations right now are a lot more sound than they were in 2008. If lenders are rolling out these products, it's uh, it's something that's good for borrowers, safe for borrowers, and uh, should just help increase home lending on the aggregate. It's such a great point. I try to reiterate that with friends outside the industry that ask me when there's knee jerk headlines. Um, you know, is this going to be a, a redux of 2008? To your point, I think the regulatory infrastructure in place and the the loan and credit quality out there and loans getting originated today, it's far and away uh, much safer than the lending environment we saw, you know, 15 years ago now. Well, uh, run down here Friday afternoon, got some great comments. Hope they keep coming in. Uh, friend Philip asking, how can the industry, you know, do this uh, as far as some of these different loan programs when they're already losing money on every loan getting originated? My guess would be you're hoping for, you know, maybe the refi volume on the back end as rates reduce in the future. And there's maybe a bit more margin on that transaction piece. Uh, also in the chat, any projections on how lower rates will affect home prices? Uh, my thoughts that when rates drop, demand increases and list prices go up, but with the add-on effect of multiple offers and paying over list price, in summary, I'm not so sure lower rates with higher prices will inform, uh, will improve home affordability. Any thoughts from the group there? And that comes in from Ken Bartley. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there. I'll, I'll say for sure, it will not necessarily improve affordability but that depends the affordability for whom, which groups. There, there are always haves and haves nots. I was just reading today, uh, Hermes, you know, the, that French luxury company, their sales jumped 23%. Again, not necessarily mortgage related, but the point is that for luxury goods, people still have a ton of money out there. And so for those who can't afford it, they'll be part of the, uh, uh, of the bidding wars and getting the homes, uh, but some folks will be, will be left out. I would I would also add that if rates drop, people will have more incentive. People that were looking to move will have more incentive to move because the rates won't be, you know, the delta between their current 30-year fixed rate mortgage and what they could get won't be so large. That will help increase supply, which should help alleviate some affordability problems. 
And I'm I'm going to make my usual um, comment on you know what lenders can do to help afford affordability. It's not a huge um, you know the, the ability to use certain programs, you know DPAs things like that isn't super widespread. But that anytime you can um, kind of take down the overall LTV and just um, I guess use um, I want to call them tools outside of the, the, the box or outside of, you know, like you use nonprofit um, down payment assistance programs, government, whatever is out there. I know that there are a lot of programs that have money left. And so if they don't have anyone because of rate issues, they don't have anyone actively utilizing it, that money is going unused. So I think that, again, even though, you know, Bernard is right, that it, it affordability, I don't think it's going to improve greatly. But at least at least on the home price side. And but if you start supplementing that with um, special purpose credit programs and and you said DPA, there might be a little bit of um, growth for the low to moderate income, uh, you know, uh, cohort. Great point, Susan. Uh, welcome to the rundown, everybody. If you're joining in late. Tom Gucci here, Robbie Crispin, the star of the Crispin Daily Commentary Podcast. And we are joined by our longtime partners and sponsors of today's episode with iEmergent, Bernard and Laird Nasoli. Uh, at this point, I want to jump back into kind of what we teased out for this episode, too, which was uh, you were guys making waves in the industry with the Humda 2022 data findings. And uh, I had a chance to look through the blog, which... Uh, audience joining us live welcome to check that link out in the chat um we won't give away a lion's share of the insights today i want you guys to join us next thursday for the deep dive webinar on it link to register also in the chat but uh i love both your perspectives on maybe just a couple of the key findings that really jumped off the charts to you as you were analyzing this on the data i know for me just looking at your blog i thought what was really interesting um, you know, obviously the, the mortgage market volume slicing in half in the past 12 months, very common knowledge to anybody in our industry. Uh, but the IMB is carrying the load, um, making up 58% of the overall volume while only being 20% of the lending institutions involved. That stat, as well as the credit unions lagging behind in their driving of purchase volume, I thought was unique, but I love your perspectives having sliced and diced the data and, and created these takeaways. You want to go with the, the chart first, because I think put it in the context of history. Sure. And I'll do, I'll do a little, uh, I'll do a little sh uh, show and tell here. So, so this is just, you know, a, a chart that shows uh, purchase and refi mortgage volumes over since 2017 where you know you can obviously clearly see we're motoring along at 1.6 1.6 and then two and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and we jumped to 396 and 4.38 trillion and then last year was at 2.3 so i think uh refi was down 70 percent and a purchase was down 19 percent so just about 46 percent overall and this is what people are feeling right now and this feels horrible this is saying, hey, we were here, well, now we're here, what happened? But if we quickly, oops, excuse me, if we, if we quickly take out the pandemic years, this is the weight of history. And this is what is actually happening. So we're, we're back on track, we're back on trend, if you will, that if you compare 2019 to 2022, 
it was 2022 was actually a little bit better and and uh purchase was actually up 30 percent versus 2019 but the idea is that as robbie mentioned there's a lot of enthusiasm there's uh, optimism in the market for the spring buying season i definitely concur and think that this is going to continue uh over this long-term trend in 2023 excellent appreciate that insight bernard it provides a perspective too is you know we think doom and gloom about uh what 23 looks like you know compared to these last two record years i think it's important to have perspective as to what that you know total origination pie looked like uh pre-pandemic and how it compares to to what we're looking at now yeah and Laird, did you want to talk about the institutions yeah well no i was just going to say that you know i think um and we'll get into it more in the webinar i want to you know, think specifically because it is a TMC webinar. We're going to talk a little bit about the, you know, TMC heavy markets. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is that um, there is no U.S. mortgage market. The U.S. mortgage market is the collection of, you know, if you took the census tracts, you know, 84,000 little markets, all with different behaviors. Now, there aren't many, and we'll, we'll get into the specifics, there aren't many um, metropolitan areas that didn't decrease um, somewhat. Some you know, very flattened purchase, but not like this deep dive. But looking at that um, at that chart that Bernard showed, I think the thing to keep in mind is that um, opportunity is always there. And the reason I like that he shared that is because if you take yourself away from the doom and gloom, you know, this is not going to work. You're, it, when you open your mind to that, you're going to um, find things and 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 be innovative. And I think what's unique about what's coming. Um, you know me, I always like to put the past in the context of the future. For lenders, for the TMC, you know, lender profile, I think this is a really great um, year as a year of a lot of potential. I mean, we work with a lot of non-TMC members and TMC members. And I do think that um, even though the, the smaller institutions um, may feel things more immediately um, with the drop, the larger institutions are going to have the longer impact of that. And I think it's a really unique time for particularly community smaller banks and credit unions to um to capitalize on some of the things some of the, the uh what do you want to call it strengths that they have and take advantage of this market um and i hate seeing people cut back too much i know it's necessary but i think it's instead of thinking of a cutback think about how do we change our investment and reinvest differently so that we make sure we don't walk away you know dropping less than the market if you will that's a great point, Laird. Um, I have to give you guys the opportunity for a quick pat on the back here. We talked a little bit about it in the run-up to the show, but share with the audience how your guys' forecasting from iEmergent compared uh, from an accuracy, stand accuracy standpoint versus the, the actual Humda data findings. Want me to talk about it, Bernard? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so here's the thing, Tom. I got to be got to be honest. I was spitballing because they don't let me do the real analysis, but I was really excited because when it, we get the first, you know, the top level um, numbers, I always go right away to all of our forecasts. I'm like, how do we do? How do we do? Like I said, national um, accuracy is less important than market level accuracy. But with that being said, at the national level, when I looked at our six month time horizon for the forecast, we were within two percent of the all purchase, you know, purchase, and even like. Like 99 some point something for um, refi, but was exciting to me because I 
focus so much on the, um, the diverse markets. You know, we, we calibrated that model, those models a lot in the last two years. And our Hispanic forecast was 99.7% of what the U.S. ended up being. Now was, and, and Asian was the lowest of the three main um, minority groups, and that was 92. So I can't wait to dig into those at a county and um, track level. But but to me that that is well, I, I'm glad that we've spent the time with the with the model. But I think um, it, it goes to show that sort of the the cause and effect, um, you know, what we're trying to change, you know, is is working in the sense of that that even though we saw this overall drop, those groups dropped less than the overall market, and that's that was what we had estimated. And the fact that that happened. Obviously, I like the model, but I like what it means for the industry, too. Yeah, it has to be very validating. And uh, before we, you know, wrap things up here for Friday on the Rundown, too, I want to dig in briefly to your involvement with MBA's Convergence Affordable Housing Initiative. Uh, I know it's a very uh, passionate project of yours, and I'd love for you to share kind of with the audience, you know, what your role is what the group's been up to and, and why the initiative is so important to you. So um, Convergence is a, I guess, the brainchild of the MBA's Affordable Housing Committee. And what it is really is it's, a, it's like a multi-sector um, collaborative initiative to, to decrease the home ownership gap. Um, for the most part, it's been decreasing the Black home ownership gap. And the point of it was to come up with a framework um, that can be, you know, you, you you put together a convergence initiative, you learn from it, you move to the next city. So it started in Memphis. That's how I became involved um, first, just by as a speaker at one of the um, one of the meetings. Then COVID hit, so we didn't have any more in-person meetings. But then um, I became from the ground up. I, I you know I'm a, a, um, a co co lead of one of the work groups for Convergence Columbus, and um, do quite a bit of, of stuff there. In fact, I just was in. Columbus last week doing a real estate agent training program. Um, but now they also are doing the same thing and moving convergence to Philadelphia. But what's really unique about it and what I think has been invaluable, and I do encourage every any, any lenders who have, you know, a branch or business in one of those three cities, do look to get involved because number one, the lenders are seeing um you know, some gain in their in their production numbers from it. But more importantly, what they're learning about different markets is really, you know, pretty interesting and, and how they're learning to work with other practitioners. And we did a, um, I worked with Ohio State and we did a loan officer and real estate professional survey um, last year, you know, really to see a baseline for, we talk about the education gap, where does that, um, you know, where do we see that? And that we don't just see an education gap in you know the, with home buyers, we see that really significantly with um, practitioners. And this basically, like one quick example, um, 97, 92% of all loan originators surveyed thought they had the right product set to meet the needs of LMI and or um, other underserved borrowers. 41% of the realtors thought that there were those products. Um, and it was even lower when you got more specific into down payment assistance and things like that. So as a part of what we are learning, Convergence is putting together a real estate training program. So that's what we were talking about. At that program, you know, the real estate agents were talking about how lenders describe products in a um, you know, way that doesn't make sense. 
So I, you know, raised my hand and I said, well, tell me more about how you do want to see, learn about the information. And the answers to those kinds of questions just provide insight to, you know, that it's pretty encouraging about small things, you know, and really immediate things that we can do to um, just to do a better job serving everyone. And again, let's remember that serving everyone means more business. So there's a business and a, um, you know, community service focused rationale for this. But but convergence has been great. And I, I do um, credit a lot of these accolades that you talked about coming from my involvement with convergence, because it's it's just been an amazing learning experience. I love bringing what I learned back to our clients. Um, but I'm just I'm just proud of the industry. I'm proud of the MBA and um, for doing this. And it's it's starting to show getting real traction. Well, it's a fantastic initiative and, and love to see you having a, a heavy-hand involvement there and, and not surprising that, you know, there's a direct impact in the Columbus community, home of The Ohio State University, it's very unfortunate that there's not something taking place yet in Austin, uh, home of uh, Robbie's alma mater, the Hook of Horns, uh, University of Texas Longhorns. Austin was in the running for a potential city, though. I'll tell you that. Okay, so that's encouraging, Robbie. I'm surprised he's he didn't just uh, hang up after I did the uh, the horns down after uh, the controversy from last fall there. You know, you're you're too kind to me in too many ways to hang up on you, Tom. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Always a a good sport here. Before we wrap, I want to remind the audience uh, there is a link in the chat for the deeper dive into iEmergence Humda 2022 data and key takeaways, and that will be uh, next Thursday on April the 20th. And if uh, Senior was here joining me today, I'm sure we'd have some uh, 420. Drug dog, puff the magic dragon related uh, joke to to play on there, but I'll I'll save that for another day. And the joke is that next Friday, April twenty first, is National Surprise Drug Test Day. So everybody, be vigilant. <laughs> they have a day for everything, don't they? <laughs> See, the more you know, right? Not much of a surprise <laughs> anymore, huh? Well, as we wrap today, uh, guys, any good uh, weekend plans out there? I know, Bernard, Laird, you've got a, a sick kiddo, but uh, you have some fun this weekend at some point? Play so, football for the other kiddo. That's that's right. And I also had a, a, a little a little news from uh, our old colleague, uh, Rich Serbinski, in his new venture. Uh, if, if people don't know, he's, he's, he's doing something with, uh, baseball cards or, you know, collectibles. And I participated in the, uh, the first ever, um, uh, pack break is what they call it. It's when you buy a box and then you pay to get all of the, the cards for a specific team, uh, randomly generated. But the point is that the, they open the, the packs in front of you or on camera and then uh and then you get a package a few days later in the mail so what you're saying bernard is that because it was all done on camera rich couldn't pull the old switcheroo and you know <laughs> pull out like the albert that, pool holes card or that's that's uh, right know, all the, the quality rookies out of there okay good <laughs> good just some transparency in the process here for the jungle that's good dude. that's right <laughs> when i walked in i was like what are you looking at he showed me like is that rich Sure enough, yeah. it was. And his kid. 
I love it. I love it. He sends uh, my little guy baseball cards frequently. And that's uh, my big weekend plans. Doing a, a seven-year-old birthday party on Sunday. little Ninja Warrior theme before I uh, hop on a plane and head out to uh, Black Knight's uh, Information Exchange uh, Conference in Orlando. Uh, but Robbie, before we wrap, any uh, any good weekend plans we call can live vicariously through you? 80 degrees here in Manhattan, New York City. I will be outside. Amen, brother. We'll live it up for us this weekend. And uh, on that note, Bernard, thank you so much for uh, joining and sponsoring today's episode. Looking forward to the deep dive next week. And Robbie, always a pleasure. And our audience, podcast, YouTube, the download recordings, you'll get it and follow up. So tell your friends, come join us next Friday at 3 Eastern. And until then, have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Robbie. Um, nice it. to meet you, Robbie. Nice you to too. see you, Bernard. <laughs> Bye, guys. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.